Merson has scored it. Arsenal legend Paul Merson, John O'Shea and Wes Brown are coming to Dublin. It's an exclusive off-air event, so if you want to be there, get on to offtheball.com forward slash events. Just Eat, the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. The Women's Six Nation Show on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, a proud supporter of the Irish women's rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Hello and welcome to this special show commemorating the Irish Grand Slam, which happened a decade ago now. It's hard to believe that it has actually been so long since that victory for the squad. Uh, It was an epic time. It was an unexpected time, but a very enjoyable one for everyone involved. I am Kathleen McNamee, and to commemorate this special occasion, I am joined by two very special guests. Uh, We've heard a lot about this tournament from the Irish side of things, so we decided we would go a little bit further afield and talk to some players who played on the other side of the Irish victory. So I'm joined by former England captain Sarah Hunter and former Scotland international Megan Gaffney. Guys, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining me and uh, indulging us in letting us talk about a time when Ireland were actually winning and good at rugby. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for having me. And how are you doing, Sarah? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, It's nice to have a a trip down memory lane. And, you know, I think it's really important to to celebrate uh, the successes of any team. So, yeah, it should be be a good, uh, good chat. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I was watching back uh, a couple of documentaries in preparation for this of that time. And I remember it so clearly myself. It was probably the first time women's rugby properly came into my consciousness in terms of wow we're actually really good at this this is this could be exciting this is gonna be fun and I I think it's probably the first time as well that a women's team I supported actually achieved something in terms of winning a tournament or winning a competition so it definitely set me down a path of mm, being interested in sport and loving sport and seeing all the good that came from it and I'm sure that was the same for a lot of people too and just to give a bit of an introduction to the two of you for anyone who maybe isn't familiar. Sarah, you're you're both recently retired, but Sarah, you're former captain of England. Uh, You spent 16 years as an international, so definitely a very good person for us to have on now. 141 caps, which makes you the most capped English player. And then Megan, I mean, you were there for so many interesting parts of the Scottish development into the professional game and also part of the Sevens team. And you have 45 five caps and you debuted in 2011 is that right yeah a long time ago now (laughs) yeah so you're both great people to have on the the show today just to ask you about I suppose before we dive into the actual Grand Slam and everything that happened um how are you both finding retirement Um, I'm really enjoying it it's nice not to be tackled into the mud every week um and it's just nice to get the opportunity to do other parts of rugby. So going to watch games. Um, I work for a rugby charity, so it's been really lovely to be able to get fully stuck into that and just not feel like you're constantly on the go and stressed all the time. So, yes, I like it. <laughs> and Sarah, you finished up there just at the start of the Six Nations. So you're a little bit more recent, Megan. You finished up at the end of the World Cup. How are you finding watching the tournament and not being involved as a player? I'm really enjoying retirement, similar to, to Megan. You know, the 
you're not in this like whirlwind of sort of professional rugby um, you can get take a step back and you fit so much more into to your life and you have a bit more freedom and um, it, it's nice to have been involved at the start of the Six Nations and it, it's great to see how uh, the girls are doing you know we've got like a new crop of players in there which to see them really excelling and showcase that their skill and their talent is it's brilliant and um, they've made uh, watching uh, a lot easier by how they're doing so far. So yeah, no, just just really pleased to be able to to watch and and proper fangirl them, girl them now. And haven't had too many moments where I thought, oh my god, what have I done? I've made a mistake. So that that that's good as well. Well, that's definitely a positive place to go into it with because I know a lot of players have mixed emotions sometimes when they finish up. Sometimes there's the maybe not regret, but just the, the missing being part of something. And then there's other people that are like, nope, I like sitting back and actually enjoying this from the other side of things. Um, the Women's Six Nations with Vodafone, a proud supporter of the Irish women's rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. So to bring you guys back 10 years ago, going into this tournament, obviously England and France had always dominated like for probably the decade beforehand. Ireland weren't necessarily in a place, I don't think, where many people were tipping them to go on a run. They had obviously had that really good win the year before uh, against France and Poe after some horrendous conditions to actually get at the game. Megan, do you remember what you were kind of thinking going into that tournament in terms of who to look out for? Um, so that was my first Six Nations tournament and um, the game against England at the start was my second cap. So I was still pretty new to it all and just soaking up what it was to be an international athlete. Um, I was really lucky with the girls that I was playing alongside, had a lot of experience. So I was trying to uh, pick up as much as I could from them. Um, but to hear the way that they would speak about players and other teams that's when I was a bit like oh this is really serious these are the best players in the world that we're playing against um, but I was very green just there didn't really know what I was doing but what a way to start your international career yeah it must have been a tough tournament to have as your first one because you guys suffered quite some heavy defeats I think there was two matches that finished 76-0 and there was only three points scored over the entire tournament how was that for you coming in as such a new player and experiencing such heavy defeats um I think well I didn't know any differently um, so I was able to keep quite a even head on it and think, oh, this is what it is and how do we get better from here? I mean, that's not the only year that we had results like that. Um, but when you are being beaten like that, there is only one way to go and that's up. So just sticking together, working hard. And over the last decade, we've definitely started to turn that around. And Sarah, for you, what was the general atmosphere around the England camps? The Sevens World Cup was that year as well. And I think there was quite a few of your players who weren't there. So how how was the atmosphere around the camp? Obviously, it was the, the World Cup for Sevens in 2013. So um, back then, you know, there wasn't two separate squads. Um, then there was a sort of a mass exodus of our, our backline, which um, was was frustrating, but it was understandable because that's what happened then. Um, and it was the first. I was Katie Daly McLean was was um, part of that, you know, and, and she was our captain at the time. Um, so I took on that that responsibility of of um, of leading the team, and uh, it was just a real. Uh, mix we had a, a lot of new caps 
Um, so there's a lot of excitement, um, but also equally a bit of uncertainty to know just how we were going to go into that tournament because we were off the back of um, winning like every Six Nations. Well, for me, since I'd been involved in 2007 was my first cap and we'd, we'd won every Six Nations um, since then. So, you know, it was like still had a bit of confidence um, yet, like not knowing what, what was going to happen and I, I think Megan said we, we got off to a good start um, it, against Scotland in the, the opening game and flooded a lot of new players and it was mine and Joe McGilchrist's 50th cap which was really nice because we'd got our first cap together we hadn't played every game um, the same since but it just so happened that we, we timed it that we'd get our 50th cap and you know, confidence was, was flying high after the, the Scotland game and we thought oh we, we've gelled quite quite nicely and then we we flew over to Ireland and um, certainly got um, a reality check of just where that that squad was. Yeah so to run people through the results just in case they forget them so Ireland played Wales in their first game and they won that 10-12 and then they beat England 25-0 at home which is actually the first time Ireland had ever beaten England and they played Scotland and they beat them 30 points to three 15-10 against France and then a very tight game against Italy which ended uh, 6-3 very low scoring as well. Sarah going into the tournament with that sort of dominance in the past but also knowing you were kind of depleted do you remember looking at the Irish team and being concerned or like was there any particular players at the time that stuck out in your mind that you were like okay they're going to cause us some trouble? Certainly we, we never underrated, uh, underestimated the Irish then and, and certainly um, that continued we knew um, I, it was almost a team that had been together like a number of years you, you look um, through that that list of um, through that list of players and you've got V Coughlin is that how you pronounce it sorry yeah you're, you're all good yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of them are um, tricky <laughs> uh, sort of at, at the front you know you've got you had um, Link Cantwell you had Joy Neville um Lee Briggs, you know, the, the list is endless of these these players that had been playing and growing um, together. So we always knew that it was a um, a, a strong squad uh, that that were performing, um, and we knew that going to Ireland was always a difficult proposition, no matter what team you were going to face. And um, the I just remember it, and still to this day, it was probably one of the toughest games. Um, I've, I've played in an England shirt, you know, um, I think coming off the back of a, a good win, you, you go in with confidence. But I just remember that we weren't even in the game. I don't even remember getting into Ireland's 22. Like, I don't think we even like had an opportunity to put any points on the board, never mind like being with a chance to, to be competitive or to win. We were We were comprehensively beaten by a very, very good Irish side um, and I remember like especially I guess I'd lost the World Cup final but this just this just felt like like different in that sense you know um, I, we'd been well winners in Six Nations like up until this point and I just felt like this was, was a turning point of you know like where teams were now getting like closing the gap and becoming more equal and I remember finding my mum and dad and just being like like so upset about losing and obviously 
being captain of a Six Nations squad for the first time and just being like, oh my God, this is this is my fault. This is what I'm needing the team to do. Um, and yeah, I just remember sitting in the changing rooms for ages, not wanting to go to go to the post-match function. I was like, I'm not sure I can face it. Uh, it was just a very good performance by the Irish. Well, I apologise on behalf of the Irish nation for ruining your uh, first captaincy, uh-huh. but you went on to do some pretty impressive things afterwards. I think it was 10 Six Nations you've won in your entire career and nine of those are Grand Slams. So I, I'm going to I'm gonna let us have this, this one, just this one. Megan, for you, like obviously Scotland and Ireland have probably had a bit more of a rivalry over the years than Ireland and England have just because England have been you know, leaders in the game in terms of professionalism and leading the standards. What was it like lining out for you against that Irish squad? Um, I've always really enjoyed playing against Ireland. The last couple of years, we've had some great battles that have gone down to the final play. But I just, every time I've played Ireland, and particularly that game, they're just relentless. They're so strong and so powerful. And I, playing on the wing, I just remember being like, oh gosh, what's going on over there? And now the ball's in front of me and now they've gone. <laughs> and it was just constant. They did not stop all day and they're just so confident in what they're doing. Um, and I think for us as a squad at that time, um, as Sarah said, Ireland had a lot of players who'd been playing together for a long time. We were probably the opposite. We had um, we were sort of going through this rebuild phase post the 2010 World Cup. And we were just completely outplayed in every area. We did get our three points um, in that game. But yeah, it was just nonstop. And they were so skillful and amazing athletes. Yeah, it was interesting listening. You got Megan. (laughs) (laughs) It was interesting listening to a couple of the Irish team talking about that time and every game you know they said for them the England game was the turning point because obviously first time they'd ever beaten them it was such a big deal for them and then as the competition went on they were almost kind of looking at each other and saying are we actually doing this are we managing this and you know Ali Miller talked about I think it was in the final game against Italy. Her dad had died um, a little while before and just being on the pitch. And she was like, I should have been paying attention to what was happening in front of me. But I was just praying to him, being like, please, please let us carry this off. Because they'd had such a difficult couple of years in terms of resources and in terms of results. Have you guys ever been in that sort of similar situation where you're in the middle of something and everything is going on around you and you know how important it is and you just, you almost zone out in the moment and it's only when the final whistle goes, you're kind of brought back to reality and you're like, God, we actually did it. Like we won the game or we won the tournament, we won the Grand Slam. Um, yes, against Ireland, actually, um, in the qualifiers for the 2021 World Cup. And so when we're in Parma, it was Ireland, Spain, Italy, Scotland. um, And it kind of came down to us in Ireland over who would get that last place at the um, repertage. And um, I remember we're playing Ireland and they scored first and we got one back. It was really close. And I just remember sort of 20 minutes before the final whistle, just being like, this is going to be fine. Like, I just think this is going to be fine. We're not winning right now, but it's going to be fine. And then we sort of got a try back. And then a couple of minutes before full time, we got the chance to kick it to the corner. Um, and we actually missed that kick. And I was like, this is still going to be fine. <laughs> this is going to be fine. And then managed to score in like the 80th 
second minute or whatever it was and even standing watching Sarah Law take that final conversion I was just like this like we're going to do this and it's going to be an amazing thing for women's rugby in Scotland um and yeah and it worked out and it was I found myself like screaming but I'm not really like that emotional and you know you're just like who's that screaming oh wait no that's me that's me <laughs> um so yeah that's probably like my favorite moment ever on a rugby pitch is watching Sarah Law take that kick and it didn't really have anything to do with me but just knowing in that moment what we'd achieved was so special and what about for you Sarah uh, it's probably the it, it's not necessarily zoning out but it's almost like like time just doesn't like it just stops like and you don't know how it's happened but and it's probably not for like a positive reason I think when when you're in a game and things are going like really well I find myself like really in the moment like you you're always in it like for me it was probably 2010 that um World Cup final and we were only three points behind New Zealand but it just like I remember being in the game and it was almost like we weren't in the game because we just couldn't get the ball and I was like I don't understand like and it felt like the the clock was stopped but keep going at the same time it was just this really surreal feeling that you felt like you had so much time to try and get those three points because it was only three points. It's like, well, you get a penalty, you draw the game or you get a try and you're in front and then you hold out. But it just felt like we couldn't do anything. Like nothing was happening yet. The game was still going down. And I just remember like almost seeing the clock when it was like down to 10 seconds and it was like, it was just disappearing. And with that, that moment of knowing that the chance of winning a World Cup was going and it was just so... Like, so surreal at that moment in time that yeah that just it's amazing what moments and games can can make you feel and it just felt you just felt really helpless because whatever you tried like it didn't seem like you were doing anything it just felt like you were floating in sort of like midair while still trying your hardest to to, to get the get the hands on the ball and and change the game so yeah it was um it, it was it's, it's it's really funny what what rugby does to you and sort of how you think in a, in a game yeah you're kind of brought back to reality very sharpish whenever the whistle goes but for the time that you're in it it's almost like a alternate world or something I find when you're on and I, I don't even think that's limited to rugby I think for a lot of sports it's probably the same thing um, obviously we're here today because it is a decade since the Grand Slam win and I suppose just like reflecting on that time a little bit because Irish rugby, I think, you know, the women said at the time going into that tournament, they were like, you know, to really get people's attention and to get their respect, we need to win this tournament or, you know, we need to make a statement. And I don't think they probably went into it not intending to win the Grand Slam. That was just a little bit of icing on the cake. But it really injected I think a lot of excitement into Irish rugby here. You know, I like I said at the start of the show, I remember myself, it kind of jolted it into my consciousness at the time. Sarah, you've obviously been on the side of winning a lot of Grand Slams and making it to World Cup finals and winning World Cup finals. And we've seen what that has done for English rugby and how professional the setup is and, you know, kind of world leaders, you would say, in the game. Can you talk, 
through a little bit, I suppose, your own experience of over the 16 years that you were playing, how you saw that develop? Because obviously you were there before it was all professional as well. Absolutely. You know, I've probably seen um, an awful lot from my first cap in 2007 when um, England women's rugby team weren't a part of the RFU. So we had our own separate governing body, the Rugby Football Union for Women, that like funded itself and looked after itself and governed women's rugby in, in this country. And we didn't even have the same roles, you know. So um, they were the first sorts of challenges and barriers we, we faced. And then I think it was 2012 that we became fully integrated into the RFU as we are now. And our roles changed and then gradually the, the investment over time changed. Um, and I guess with more investment became like professionalism, professionalism with a small p, like we were still amateur, like we weren't full time um, at all until 2019. But um, whilst we weren't, weren't paid fully, you saw the increase of the support services. So like more coaches, more medical staff, more strength and conditioning, all the stuff around that makes you a professional player, but without actually getting paid to do it. Um, and then now we're, we're obviously really fortunate um, that I guess out of um, all the home nations that play in the Six Nations, we, we've been we've been professional the longest since 2019. And, and since then, I think um, I didn't think it was going to happen in my time, if I'm honest. But I feel really lucky that I've I've seen the transition and been able to 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 call myself a professional player. Um, and with that, I think it's just really skyrocketed where the game in England has gone. And I guess what England as a national team we've been able to do. And I think winning tournaments, Six Nations and um, World Cups generates that momentum and like sort of backs up the the investment that I guess England rugby put into us um, as a game. And I think what's really great now is that all nations have fully invested in their teams, but it is more than just giving like players money. You know, you've got to invest in the whole game, whether that's at grassroots to develop like the future generations, whether that's the support service around that. So player welfare supported. Um, I don't think it's just as simple as giving players money. You know, you have to have a program that's well supported and well resourced as well. And um, I think those are probably the sorts of things that over time will will start to, to even get bigger and better for, for everyone and that's where all the, the gaps will close but um, yeah I think it's it's really important sort of from my time and seeing where we are now and I think what's really exciting about where the women's game can go um, so hopefully in 10 years time um, who knows Island Rugby might have won a few more Grand Slams and um, and then you've got uh, another TV programme to, to make off the back of it I really hope that is the case. I, I want to be keeping making these shows. I want every year to be the centenary or like a decade since we've won something more exciting. Um, and then, Megan, we've seen like with Scottish rugby, you were talking about at the time of the Grand Slam that, you know, it was a developing team. Players like yourself were coming in for their first caps. And since then, you're celebrating, you were saying earlier, 30 years of Scotland women's rugby this year, which is really exciting. And, you know, you just brought in professional contracts were announced at the end of uh, December there. For you, 
how has that development been and like what what were the conversations like and how did it kind of come about? Um, so Scotland have been on quite a long journey in the last 10 years. Um, there was a few years we were sort of a bit adrift. There wasn't much direction and where we were going. We had a huge turnover of players and of management. Um, every year something was different and they just there didn't seem to be that much interest in it. And I think 2015, we got our first full-time coach in Shade Monroe and that really showed us that the union wanted to support us um, and they wanted this to be a success. Um, and that year as well, we actually had a big influ influx of younger players who have been the backbone of the Scotland team that you see today. So Lisa Thompson, Rona Lloyd, um, Helen Nelson came in that year as well. Uh, the season after you had Rach Malcolm and Sarah Bonner. So since then, we've definitely been building. And as the, um, oh goodness, I've forgotten the word. As we've been getting more support, um, we have definitely been producing better results. It's not been, you know, a linear journey, but through the years, like these scorelines are getting closer um, and to make it to the first World Cup in 12 years was huge for us. Um, and I think, having people in our camp in such close um, conversations with people within the union, they're showing how willing these players are, how dedicated these players are. And we just need a bit more support. And um, we don't have the luxury of other um, countries at the moment of having a huge player base. So the players we have need to be really well looked after um, so that we can produce results and compete with the best teams um, and to have 28 girls on contracts now is amazing they're not full-time professional they're for 21 hours so a lot of our girls still do bits of work on the side um, but the fact that that's where we're going is it's kind of unbelievable if I think back to that Ireland game um, in 2013 we played at Last Wade Rugby Club which is um it's not even a big club in Scotland, you know, it's just a standard club and we didn't even fill the stand. It must, I think it was like mums and dads and a few friends. And now we're playing at Dam Health um, in front of thousands of people. Every home game, you've got um, England selling out Twickenham just about, just about. And for that to happen in only 10 years is quite incredible. Um, and I feel like this is a good time for me to step away because it is going on to that next stage. Um, but I'm proud that I was sort of part of that generation that helped the change. And you've got girls coming in now, Emma Orr, Eliane Clark, who are going to be huge, huge names in rugby. And they're never going to know a non-professional game. Like, that's just mad. When I try and explain to them what it used to be like, they're just like, what? Um, but yeah, it's going good places. Yeah, and like it's interesting the way you talk about it as well because sometimes it's not even, you know, winning a Grand Slam or a World Cup. It's qualifying for those events. You know, say the Irish women's football team are going to Australia and New Zealand. It's the first time they've ever gone to a major tournament and football is booming here as a result of it. So, like, it's just about getting people excited and on board and taking them on that journey as well as also aiming for the higher level of, okay, well, let's win a tournament or like let's beat the team like England that we've never beaten before whatever it might be um, the Women's Six Nation show with Vodafone a proud supporter of the Irish women's rugby team we all belong to the team of us I want to bring you guys back to the 2017 World Cup um, and just what the experience or what was the general impression of a major tournament being hosted in Ireland a great time you know when 
he kind of, when the, the announcements are going to come out where it is and the fact that it was going to be an island and shared between um, Dublin and Belfast, I thought was, was brilliant, you know, especially for us in England, it wasn't too far to travel. Um, having played um, a lot of games in Dublin, we know what the support was going to be like from, from the Irish and how um, they would really get behind the tournament. And, you know, like rugby's, huge and huge in Ireland for and it's always been been great to go and play there so yeah it was uh it was it was yeah like a really good reaction from from a, everyone at England that it was going to be there and playing um at UCD um to be able to stay on site and play um where you you live you know have that that sort of I guess a bit like a Olympic village type vibe was really good. You'd bump into the other countries and you could catch up with people you know and and then moving the the semis and finals up to, to Belfast to to play up in Ulster Stadium w- was brilliant and it wasn't too far for our fans to travel. So um, that final against New Zealand um, almost felt like a home game. You know, it definitely felt like there was more white shirts there than than there was. Um, than the world's black. I mean, unfortunately for us, um, another final against New Zealand didn't go our way. But like the whole occasion to play a World Cup out in Ireland was was brilliant. You know, like it, we were so welcome. The hospitality of, from everyone over there was was just brilliant. Um, and yeah, it was just a shame that we couldn't we couldn't get the win we wanted to top it all off with. And Megan, for you, like obviously, I think. When you reflect on the last decade or so, it's interesting. I feel like Ireland and Scotland have been on very similar journeys in terms of the peaks and the troughs. And Scotland are probably a little bit ahead of where Ireland are at at the moment in terms of their progress. Um, although hopefully we will be catching up with you very, very soon. For you, what was it like seeing that, you know, this major tournament was being hosted in a country that, you know, didn't maybe always appreciate the women's game all that much, but was willing to host a tournament like that and I suppose try and promote the sport in the country? I think for the sport it was incredible Um the show that Ireland put on was amazing and to sort of ingrain rugby with their culture and show everyone that this is Ireland and we love rugby whether it's junior men's women like rugby's rugby Um I think for us as Scots we get on so well with Ireland and we would have just loved to have been there competing so that lit a fire for us to be like right we're going to be at the next one um, but to see the support that all of those games got all of the teams I felt like it was a real turning point in women's rugby in terms of the fan base and it wasn't just people who knew the players that were going to watch everyone was travelling there and whether you knew them or not whether it was your country or not and I think that's where the game is going and we saw that again at the World Cup in New Zealand this year, last year yeah, the World Cup in New Zealand last year was incredible. And I know you talked about qualifying and Ireland being in that tournament. And I mean, there was massive disappointment here that we didn't. And I think maybe in some ways that was emphasised by the fact that it was coming up to that 10 year anniversary of the Grand Slam. And uh, when you look at this Irish squad, you know, a lot of the names that you guys talked about, you know, those were our stalwarts, your Fiona Hayes, you know, Coughlin, Ali Miller. They're all gone and moved on to other things now. And there's a new generation that's coming through that's kind of, I suppose, trying to find their feet. And the fact that a lot of the good players are with the seven squad at the moment and this new squad is trying to like gel itself together. 
Um, Sarah, from your like experience of being, I suppose, in a elite atmosphere for so long, what what do you think this Irish squad need to do to find their feet and for the younger players as well who are coming into this setup for the first time? I certainly empathise with, with the Irish players that are playing 15s now. Having been through it myself when maybe some of your key players are, are away with sevens and that's their focus and obviously you throw the Olympic Games into place now and it's something that after 2014, you know, winning the World Cup and then 2015 through to 2016, again, our players went off to, to, to prep for, for the Olympics. So it, it it is a really challenging time and it's a challenging time for, for the coaches as well. And I think from a, from a player's point of view and for new players coming through, it's just a focus on on what you bring. Like, um, like, why have you been selected? What are you good at? Like, how can you ensure that you keep progressing and work on all the little things to, to make you a better player. And I think fundamentally, like we, we look at teams throughout sport and sometimes you don't always have like the best players, but if you can gel as a squad, a player squad, and you can have a real clear, concise game plan of what you want to do and how you want to play. Sometimes, you know, you, you put in performance above where potentially your, your playing level is. And I think, Whilst you whilst you develop and you grow, and I think like, this is a really um, key time for for Ireland as they're developing these new players, they're developing as a new squad in terms of building towards, I guess, um, World Cup qualification for for 2025. And I, I guess it's probably them sort of having a, a fresh start. With it's obviously been well reported about all the challenges that Ireland. Uh, um, Irish rugby have had and trying just to focus on that and the rugby side of things and and kind of not let other things that off the field which sometimes are, are out of your control and that you you can't you can't make change on but um yeah just to, to focus focus on the rugby and um and yeah just try and really sort of gel together as, as this new team and maybe take inspiration from that 2013 team you know there's some real icons and they were like we spoke about they were a team that grew that team didn't just win a Grand Slam Six Nations overnight you know that takes time it takes time for a team to, to build and click together in and this is some a fresh start for, for, for these girls post not qualifying for the last World Cup yeah it's interesting so many of the players that made up that squad are now so involved in developing the sport in Ireland you know you have players like Neve Briggs who's with Munster and Ireland you know Fiona Hayes is coaching as well um so many of them are doing work either within the women's sports sphere in Ireland or specifically the women's rugby sphere and you feel like they really are the sort of people that if these girls now are looking for some motivation or you know looking at a team that maybe didn't have everything but made something of it they definitely are the shining example of that like the we talked about the Poe incident the year before where they had to spend like 16 hours on a bus just to get to a match and then nearly beat France I think the final result was just a point between them so there's definitely a lot of parallels and I suppose a lot of people here would have hoped that maybe things had moved on a little bit more at this stage but the example that they have of what they've done is definitely a brilliant one for this team to take forward. Megan, you said earlier that about being your first cap in the 2013 Six Nations. 
for you as a young player and who had kind of that direct experience that a lot of the young players in our squad are having now in terms of having heavy defeats or just feeling a little bit demoralised or anything, what, what would you say to them to take away from this tournament? And I suppose, how do you let it not get to you and keep the love of the sport? Because it's hard when you are losing and they are fairly big scorelines. Yeah, I think you just need to trust in the process. Um, as Sarah said, these things don't happen overnight. Um, so it's about finding positives. Um, might be tiny little things, but just knowing that you're moving forward in some way. Um, I always found when we had heavy defeats, the girls would stick together and we cheer each other up. And at the end of the day, like that's why we play, is for the love of our teammates, for the love of the sport and I think I always thought if, if I'm not here doing it and putting in the time, who else is going to? Like it's not going to get better if I walk away. So it's just an understanding that it will get better. Um, people want Ireland to do well and the players, if they can stick together, like they're only going to go forward. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose to look at the actual tournament itself, I know Simon Middleton was talking ahead of um the games for the rest or for the next year that's coming up that like he's a bit concerned that where is the tournament going to go from here and if we look at like the 2013 Grand Slam win by Ireland was like a little bit of an outlier in the last like 20 years of the competition England and France have pretty much dominated the whole thing Sarah is that something that you would share the concerns of in terms of the the competitiveness of the competition I it's kind of interesting because you see teams like Ireland maybe fall away a little bit at the moment, but teams like Scotland and Italy in particular have been really, really impressive this year. I think it, it, it's probably more so maybe in terms of competing itself. When you look at, I, I think, um, like there's a lot of games that are really competitive and it's just about how, I guess, we accelerate um, that competitiveness throughout the, the whole tournament. Like, you want to go into a tournament and actually not know who the winner's going to be or who potentially the the, the, the two challenges for the title is going to be. And but that comes from, from you know, like England and France have been supported a lot longer from a full-time professional point of view. And and I genuinely hope and think that actually that, that, that gap isn't, like as big as we we might think it is, like when you look across the, the whole tournament and the matches that are played and the fine margins between some games and just how good rugby is being played. And I think it's just about how the teams that have had the longer amount of time to, to grow their game, how the others can, can probably chase that down. And I don't think it will take much because I do think when you get into professional rugby and girls can now play do it full time without having to have any other worries about work that that will that will close pretty quickly um and i think that's the exciting thing but i think the the governing bodies who probably are maybe a little behind um in in their professionalization of women's rugby it's about how quickly they want to chase that down and how much they're gonna put in into their women's teams to be able to to, to close that gap because whilst you you're investing in that like England are continuing to invest in, in their women's game they they know that teams are going to get closer that gap's going to close they're going to get better so ultimately they're, they're going to invest more to try and keep that gap 
further away. So um, hopefully that's only a good thing to, to know that actually if we can all help support one another to make sure that we're, we're funding teams and it's all-round investment. Um, and, I, and I mean that from like the grassroots end of the game. You know, we've got a great domestic league in the Premier 15s, like really good. Um, which obviously a lot of players come and play in from both Ireland and, and Scotland and Wales, which is which is great for the game. But as Megan said earlier, like if you're to grow that depth of player and like the the playing pool, like that has to be almost also available for for the countries where where those players are coming from as well. So it, it, I mean, we could probably talk for hours about uh, where the women's game needs investment and how it needs to do. The positive thing is. It, it's in the, the spotlight it's been talked about and you know now it's time for for governing bodies to to actually like back that up and go well actually we're gonna have to put money in to to make sure that that we do invest from from grassroots all the way up into to elite end because you might invite you might invest in an elite end team at the minute but if you've got nothing to back that up and um, have succession and depth, then that's only going to last so so long. Like it needs to be a real strategic, long term um, uh, sort of plan, and how they how they make women's rugby like even bigger and better than it already is. Yeah, and I think there's a really interesting blueprint for that at the moment when you look at, say, the investment that's been put into things like the WSL and women's football and the you know year like the I covered most of the Euros in England last year and it was incredible the crowds that were turning out the amount of people that were travelling and all of that came with everything that you're saying there Sarah you know it was increased investment it was increased professionalism it was making sure that players were supported in pursuing their dreams and pursuing these things Megan for you what would be your ideal next step for Scotland in the current journey that they're on with the women's team? Um, I think for me, it would be to get all players on full-time contracts so they're covered for their full week. They don't have to stress about finances because um, although they're doing what they love, like life is life and it's hard going at the moment. So to be able to take that away would be you know, another thing lifted off their shoulders. I think the club game in Scotland, we do need to do something about at the moment. I think 24, 25 of our contracted players are playing down south which is great for them and it's improving our national team but we don't have anything underneath that at the moment um, I'm not really sure what the answer is whether we bring everyone back but um, I think there needs to be some thought and investment to go into that um, we've got a good sort of pathway beginning to form we had the first Celtic Cup this year um, which was really successful and was a stepping stone between the club game and international. But I think that can't just be a couple of games a year. That needs to be more structured. And if we can get more of our players involved in that. Um, I think it is actually a really exciting time. Um, we've gone through a little bit of a changeover of players. Uh, myself and Hannah Smith have retired and got Lisa and Rona are away with the seven. So there is a bit of change. Um, we've had a few injuries at the start of the Six Nations as well. And although the results haven't been the best we've ever had, they're also not a million miles away 
from where they were last year when we had that really successful team that um, qualified for the World Cup. So I think with such a young team who are performing as well as they are, that is good. That's exciting. And that's something that we can build on over the next couple of weeks and going forward. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioning the Celtic Cup there and like improving the links with the club and the international scene. One of the things that's been brought up a bit going into the Six Nations this year was like lack of game time for the Irish squad. And, you know, they had the Tour of Japan, which was massive and it was seen as like a really, really positive thing. But there was very little in between that and then actually going into the Six Nations. In terms of getting those competitive games, because I'm... Like you both know playing is how you improve and having those being in those situations where you are under pressure and you are under top teams that's exactly how you develop as a squad Sarah what do you think the best way is to I suppose dire for you to go about looking for those sort of games in between your World Cup qualifiers World Cup matches Six Nations to make sure that these players are getting the exposure because like we said this is a very young team it's a very unexperienced team you know, there's majority of the squad actually have less than like 10 caps you know there is <laughs> there isn't really a lot of experience there at the moment you're right you know uh, you, you learn by playing and especially at international level there's nothing quite like an international game so um, to, to be learning in that environment is pretty tough but I think what will really help like all um, all countries now is that it's going to be a new world calendar you know with, with real windows of when say Six Nations are going to be I think we briefly lost Sarah there with the connection Megan I don't know do you have any thoughts on it? Um, I would love to see a Celtic league, um, so a couple of teams out of Scotland, maybe the four Irish provinces and the Welsh regions, um, playing sort of in line with the URC type thing. So high quality games every week, which is what you're getting in England at the moment. Um, I played for Loughborough for a while with Sarah, and then every week you're facing other internationalists and you just the improvement that you get from that not only in your rugby ability but just um in how in your sort of game understanding and every week is like a international game week and I think that experience on top of the playing when you take that into international it just makes that transition so much more seamless Mm. oh we have been rejoined by Sarah (laughs) the wonders of modern technology (laughs) and dodgy internet signals Um, Megan and I were just talking there Sarah about the fact that something like the URC you know that sort of competition would be really beneficial to the women's game I know you were just saying a bit about it about what you would do about getting more playing time when you cut off and obviously now the, the world calendar will will help with with teams six nations the wxv tournament with the different tiers and that will have promotion and relegation but i think like it's really important that around those games like you form some sort of uh, or tournament sorry you form up some sort of um like maybe warm-up games that i know like teams have going into world cups but you, you know you probably really need them going into Six Nations or WXV or or some form of competition that's higher than the club competition you're there, the players are playing week in, week out to just prepare them for what's about to come, um, especially as obviously the intensity and the competitive nature of the, the games increase. I know I think I briefly heard Megan talk about the Celtic League. I think that that's, that's great. Um, I think... Uh, 
how that develops is, is really intriguing to see. So, because I know Wales are in a similar position around, especially for those players that may not play in the, the Alliance Premier 15s, you know. So, I think just uh, IRFU having a real specific playing schedule for their players that's really clear, it's really well thought out on a yearly basis. It's not rushed um, and thought, like, well, how are we going to get a game here or a game there? You know, um, it, it's almost. You look at a World Cup cycle and go, right, where are our main competitions? Where are the, the additional games we're going to put in to allow players to, to get that experience, especially the young players who who need vital international experience? I think, for me, that, that that's where I, I would go if, if I was the IRFU. Definitely. And I think the points that both of you brought up there are very, very true and that it, it would be great to see it happening. Even, you know, whenever I watch the Six Nations, I actually just would like to watch more women's rugby. You know, I want to enjoy the sport a bit more. And there's just not always a lot of it that's on or available. So if we had more of those sort of games that you're both talking about, I think it would be great. Um, I have one final question for the two of you, and I'm possibly putting you on the spot a little bit here. But uh, if you were to pick a player from that 2013 squad that you admire or that you respect, which player would you pick? You go first. So many with um, within that squad, you know, what they did. And then I think, uh, I mean, we haven't spoken about it, but what they then went on to do in the 2014 World Cup, you know, was largely based on their success in 2013. Um, and, you know, like beating New Zealand was incredible. Um, so there's so many players. But I think for someone like me, Lynn, Lynn Cantwell stands out, you know, just the natural ability she was as a, as a player and I guess um, probably also what she's, she, I mean, she's one of the, I think um, after the losing the 2013, Lynn dropped me a message um, like, and she didn't have to, you know, just to sort of explain, like say she was thinking of me, like it must have been tough. And I just thought, well, do you know what? That's the opposite team that someone's reached out to just check in on how you are because I think she could see I was visibly upset and I think what she's done for the game in that tournament and what she went on in 2014 in her career and I think what she's gone on to do in women's rugby and her role in South Africa now and everything she's done in between I just think she's she's a, a brilliant player and a brilliant person so for me out of all the wonderful people in that Irish squad in, in 2013 that won the Grand Slam I think Lynn Cantwell probably um, is someone that deserves a mention. I like the way, Sarah, you're making sure that you don't offend anyone by leaving them out. <laughs> They're all wonderful. I love them all. <laughs> what about you, Megan? Um, for me, it has to be Alison Miller. I just think she's absolutely incredible. And as a winger, she is somebody that I could only ever aspire to be as good as she um, on that day in 2013, I was actually on the other side, thankfully. But I have been opposite her many times and watched her run past me. Um, but you just, when you play against her, you're like, I need to get this right because half a metre, she's gone. One second too slow, she's gone. And seeing some of the tries she scored in the most important matches. And she's just such a humble person as well. She just, she's there for her teammates. She's there for the game. And I think she probably underestimates how much she's done for women's rugby as a whole. 
Well, I think you both picked two very good players, but as you say, there are a lot of players in that squad who were who are incredible, were incredible players and are doing great things for the game in Ireland at the moment. Uh, Sarah and Megan, thank you so much for joining me and having a little reminisce over the last decade. As you were saying, Sarah, hopefully we get to do something like this again soon or in the next 10 years at least. We're talking about another Irish Grand Slam. Uh, the Women's Six Nations with Vodafone, a proud supporter of the Irish women's rugby team we all belong to the team of us the women's six nation show on off the ball with vodafone a proud supporter of the irish women's rugby team we all belong to the team of us